KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. It has been a rough year, and all that COVID stress has settled around our waistlines. We have gained, on average, one and a half pounds per pandemic month. So now what? How do we get rid of it? How do we get the scale moving in the other direction? It's not about willpower. It's about your body's will to survive and breakfast. I wanted to know what is happening in our bodies when we're stressed out that causes us to gain weight. Why do we crave comfort food and how do we break out of this? So I called Dr. Winifred Constable. She's a weight loss specialist who runs Diata Medical Weight Loss in Bryn Mawr, PA. And she explains why we gain weight during stressful times. And she gives us the top four things we need to do to lose it. I I wanted to start out with this Harris poll for the American Psychological Association. They surveyed 3,000 people and 42% of them reported gaining weight during the pandemic, an average of 29 pounds. But parents reported an average gain of 36 pounds, essential workers an average of 38 pounds. Do these results surprise you? No, not at all. I think that we are in, in unprecedented times. Our country has never been through a pandemic like this before. Really, it's been about 100 years since really my grandmother's time. And we certainly have never been quarantined like this before. And This is very much reflective of the difficult times we've been through. People respond to stress in many different ways. um, But one of the ways is relieving their stress with comforting foods, comforting drinks. And this is a very normal response to stress. And and speaking of that, I mean, that strong psychological component here, there was a, a quote I had pulled from the Obesity Medicine Association that says stress in and of itself is a known factor in weight gain and obesity. So are you talking about that psychological component? Is that what they're talking about when they say that it's a natural kind of stressor is, is a natural when it comes to gaining weight? We actually have 35 hormones in our body that trigger a particular place in the brain called the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus. And one of the triggers of these hormones is stress. So stress actually is a biochemical trigger of hormones that cause us to want to eat. Because when you think about it, when you're stressed, your body needs energy. And so it triggers your brain to want to eat. So yes, stress does trigger you both psychologically and biochemically to eat. And it's a survival mechanism. But it's so hard. I mean, they feel like, well, they are true cravings, aren't they? You just crave that energy. Biochemical, correct. They are biochemical, true cravings. It's a survival mechanism that the body has to survive. So when you're stressed, your body releases a hormone called a ghrelin, which goes to the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus and gives you a desire to eat. That is a biochemical reaction to stress. So how do we overcome it? I mean, if this is a survival mechanism that we are we are truly craving this energy, our, our comfort foods, if you will, how do we overcome that? Exactly. So stress is very toxic. There's no question about it. Stress is very toxic. And we have to learn to relieve stress in ways other than e- eating. And this is one of the things we often discuss in our in our program, because people deal with stress and stress is the 
component of human existence. We have stress in our lives all the time, but we have to try to relieve stress in ways other than eating. So there are many things that we can do to relieve stress. And each one of us is individual and different in, in terms of what works. So exercise, for example, is a tremendous reliever of stress. Um, calling friends is stress relieving. Um, listening to music is stress relieving. Getting on the computer and in watching a Netflix movie is stress relieving. But relieving stress is hugely important because stress is very, very toxic. But it's going to be different from for each person. And it depends on what works for you. And what do we talk about in our program is relieving stress in the moment and relieving stress on a regular basis. So in the heat of the moment, if you're just feeling unbelievably stressed, you want to get yourself out of the situation, go outside, count to 10, take a deep breath, look at the sky, look at the sun, and then go back in and deal with whatever your, your situation is, or take a drink of water, or sit down and close your eyes and count to 10. But then you need to relieve stress on a regular basis, and that means exercising, doing something for yourself once a week as a treat at the end of the week, getting your nails done, going and playing basketball, calling a friend, having coffee with friends. These are very important things. They're necessities of life that relieve stress. Stress relief is hugely important. It's not a luxury. It's something we all need to do on a regular basis because this promotes health and prevents weight gain. And that, some, for some people, is so hard that doing something for yourself, so many people are wired to do things for others, whether you're a parent and it's for your children or whether you're, you know, it's for your parents. And so sometimes for people to think about doing something for yourself as not being a luxury, but a necessity is a, is a huge mind shift. Mm-hmm. Yes. But you know what I say, Carol, to everybody and to all my patients is that when you do self-care, what I call self-care, everything else in your body, in your, in your life works better. And when I say self-care, I mean eating the correct diet, getting your exercise, drinking your water, getting your sleep, and relieving your stress. These are the five components that I always talk about in our program. But self-care has to be a drum roll that sits in the back of your head all the time. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. This is something that you must do. It's not a luxury. It's an absolute necessity. If you do this, not only will you be a happier person and you, you know, you're not going to gain weight, but everything else in your life will function better. And it's something we really need to focus on. It's something that I, I drum into my patients over and over and over again. And you have to be thinking about all the time, self-care, 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 because if you don't do this, nothing else in your life is going to function well. And you're correct. It's not how we're wired to think. We're wired to think about giving to others, taking care of our jobs, taking care of our children, our homes, the broken dishwashers, the sick pets, going to the dry cleaners, getting the grocery shopping done. But when you have more energy and you're eating well and you're running every day or at least three times a week and sleeping well, everything else in your life is going to fit, is going to function better and you're going to have so much more energy and you're going to be so much happier. Mm-hmm. What a, So what I'm hearing you say, it's really not so much about willpower because I think a lot of people, when they think, oh gosh, I've gained weight, gosh, then you get into this self-loathing cycle where you mm-hmm. think, I stink. I just don't have willpower. I'm a weak person. And then you reach for the potato chips. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you know, weight is very complex. It's a combination of, of understanding what you need to do to get the weight off 
and creating a routine, a structure of eating that is correct for your body. But it is absolutely not about willpower and it is not about calories. Okay. And self-loathing is not going to accomplish anything. Um, what you need to do is understand number one, what it is that you need to eat and what is correct for your body. Everybody is not the same. Okay. But, and, and this is complicated. It's not something that I can explain to you in one session. And what we do in our program is we get a very comprehensive blood test where we look at each individual and what their particular imbalance is. And then we design programs to, um, compensate for that imbalance. But, Self-loathing, nobody hates themselves when their blood pressure goes up. Nobody hates themselves when they get pneumonia or they get cancer. And yet people seem to think that gaining weight is something that's completely under their control. It is not. It is not something that is about willpower and total control. It's about, first of all, understanding what is the particular chemical imbalance and what do I need to correct it? So it's a medical problem no different from any other medical problem. And I would strongly encourage people, please do not sit at home and self-loathe yourself because that's not going to solve the problem. And you don't loathe yourself when you have pneumonia or cancer or high blood pressure. So this is a medical problem. It is solvable for everybody. I have many patients here who have lost two, three, 400 pounds. And I have many patients that have lost 10 pounds, but it is a chemical imbalance that is solved with a, an understanding of what the problem is and then creating a, a structure of eating that works with your particular metabolism. But, and I don't want to get too far into this, but it's also mm -hmm. a kind of cultural thing for us in America, isn't it? Like we yes. really do look at weight gain as somebody who, like as, as a personal failure. I mean, you know, yeah. if people are judged on their weight. We judge people you know, I guess collectively a lot of times on on what they look like. And so your message is so different mm -hmm. than what I think we've been used to in this country and how we view weight gain. Yeah. And that is completely incorrect. Nobody looks at you and sneers at you if you have cancer or diabetes. And these are all chronic problems. Or um, nobody sneers at you if you have heart disease. Nobody sneers at you if you have skin disease. And yet, People have this cultural belief that weight is something that's 100% under control. It is not. And I can tell you, I have many, many patients that have medical imbalances that they didn't weren't aware of. And once they ate the correct diet, the weight comes off. And then that once they understand the problem, they can fix the problem and live in a routine of eating where the problem can be solved. So this is no, these are problems are not insolvable. They are absolutely medical and the world and our country in particular needs to shift gears and understand that obesity, like all medical diseases, is a medical problem that needs to be addressed medically and that can be solved. And I want to touch on something you said just a few moments ago and that these surveys have touched on as well, and that is that people responded to them who gained weight also reported changes in their sleep. And you just mentioned how important sleep is. Can you talk about what is talk about that some more? What is the connection between getting enough sleep and maintaining a healthy weight? Basically, everything impacts your weight in your body. And again, when your body needs energy, it releases these hunger hormones that you have 35 of them in your body that we know so far, and they're constantly discovering new ones, by the way. So you have 35 hormones who don't make you gain or lose weight. 
but they trigger the desire to eat. So when you lack sleep, your body lacks energy. And so your body wants energy and it releases a hormone that goes to your brain and triggers a desire to eat. So lack of sleep is one of the triggers that causes you to eat and therefore causes weight gain. This is a biochemical reaction to lack of sleep. And it becomes a sort of a chicken and an egg syndrome where you lack sleep and you eat, you eat, you become more obese, you develop sleep apnea, then you can't sleep. And you're on the cycle of not sleeping, um, eating, getting more obese. Now you can't sleep. Now you're eating more, you become more obese and you're, it, it becomes a spiral almost like an avalanche, but like anything else, it can be fixed. It can be fixed. There is no hopeless situation. So what would you, what would your, your, your first um, piece of advice be for people who have gained weight and, you know, now want to embark on losing it? And that can be intimidating depending on how much you've gained. I mean, I said in the beginning, you know, the average weight gain was 29 pounds. Some people reported gaining more than 50. So the thought of having to lose that can be awfully intimidating. And the thought of like sleep, exercise, you know, watching what you eat can be overwhelming. What, in your opinion, is the first thing people should do? What's the first thing we should concentrate on? Okay. The first thing is always sleep. Okay. If you don't sleep, everything else falls apart. Okay. If you don't sleep, you don't have energy to exercise. If you don't sleep, you're craving sweets. If you don't sleep, you're not going to be in a good mood. Sleep is the most important thing. So start by going to bed, you know, and you just have to have this drum roll of self-care in the back of your brain, self-care at 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock or whatever your particular schedule is, it's time to go to bed. Think of your body as a two-year-old, you've got to pick it up and put it into bed, okay? So sleep is, everything begins with sleep. Now, if your sleep is in good balance, the next thing is, is you've got to learn what to eat. This is complicated. I do. I never, never look at calories. I'm not interested in calories. All calories are not the same. If you eat 500 calories of chocolate cake, it is not the same thing as eating 500 calories of grilled chicken. So you need to learn about the chemistry of food and what combinations of food your body needs to eat at the time of day. So timing of, of, of when you eat your food is equally important. This is complex and you need to go to somebody who understands this. And it begins with getting a comprehensive blood test. So I would tell you, number one, begin by getting your sleep. Number two, start by some exercise, whether it's one minute of walking. You know, if you weigh 600 pounds, can you get up and do one minute of walking? If the answer is no, I tell my patients, go on YouTube and do three minutes of a seated exercise. They, they, you can just go on YouTube, just Google three minutes seated exercise and try to do that. And then you need to go to a physician or to somebody who understands the biochemistry of food and will get a very comprehensive blood test and design a food program that is specific for you. And I'm not interested in programs where they give you a lot of meal replacements and, and, you know, fake food. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in in, in a program where you learn how to eat real food that you buy in the grocery store. So number one, I would tell you sleep. Number two, start some gentle, not some violent, high intensity exercise some gentle exercise that you can do on a regular basis. And number three, you need to learn about what foods are correct for your body and then start drinking water, clean, pure water. Water is really helpful. And then think about what I want to, I would tell all my patients, what are you doing every single week to relieve stress? And, and 
particularly women, they look at me like deers caught in headlight. Relieve stress? I don't know. Nothing. Well, do you go once a week to get your nails done? No. <laughs> do you go and see your friends for coffee once a week? Not really. Well, it is time right now. Doctor's orders. Go do something fun once a week to relieve stress. Because stress relief really is very, very important, Carol. I know. So Why do we need permission? <laughs> you know, like, but exactly, we do. But it's so true. <laughs> but it's something we need. We all need this. It's mm-hmm. very, very important. So those are the top, well, the four things that you need to do in order, which is really helpful. Um, but I'm thinking of a lot of people who have been financially impacted during this pandemic and might not have, frankly, the money to go see somebody or maybe they lost health insurance or, sure. you know, whatever, and they, they really can't afford to go somewhere. What can they do? Is there any program or any kind of advice you have for them when it comes to eating well to lose weight? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is a difficult situation and this is something we're working on very, very hard in my own program because we don't want to be exclusive. We want to, you know, be able to help everybody. Um, it is, it's very difficult. And part of the problem is not just being able to have access to someone like myself, um, but also getting access to good food because really vegetables are your best friend. I can't, you know, I push, I have a patient who has a two-year-old daughter who calls me the vegetable doctor. And that is correct. (laughs) I am actually the vegetable doctor. So, you know, you really need to eat huge amounts of vegetables. But what I would tell you is start with clean food. When you look at a um, label on a food, the less words you see, the better. So when you buy a bag of apples, it says apples. When you buy a bag of broccoli, it says broccoli. When you buy chicken, it says chicken. The less words there are on the food label, the better. Okay, that's where I would start. And then try to eat protein at every single meal and snack. Make sure you have protein in your diet. But then it gets more complicated because there's more fat. There are different kinds of fats and different kinds of carbohydrates. But we are thinking hard about this because we don't want to be exclusionary. We want to, we are in this business to help people, not, no, of course we have to make a living, but we mm-hmm. want to help as many people as we can. This is my mission in life. Mm-hmm. How much should we expect to lose a week? What's reasonable? Okay. And that is an excellent question because there's so much misconception about this and you see ads on TV. I guarantee five pounds a week. The thing to remember is that your body is a machine and it doesn't like you and it doesn't hate you. It's a machine. When you get in the car and push your foot flat, your accelerator flat to the floor, your car never goes 600 miles an hour. Never. It goes maybe 100 miles an hour at its fastest. Now, how fast you lose weight depends on where you are. But if you're looking to lose, say, 30, 40, 50 pounds, The first week, you'll start to lose glycogen out of the liver and then water. So you may lose three to four pounds the first week or two. But when you're really breaking down fat, your machine of a body will lose between one to one and a half pounds per week. And that is if you're being perfect. That is your body breaking down fat. So it is no different from your car. It is a machine. It cannot break down fat any faster than that. So Once you're really in the rhythm of breaking down fat, if you see one to one and a half pound of of fat breakdown per week, you are doing an A plus excellent job. I think the 
problem can be, you know, when you're seeing progress like that, it's a little easier to stay on track. Um, but when things slow down or maybe you don't lose or you plateau, I think when I talk to people who have dieted, that's when it's kind of hard to stay the course. Um What's your advice when it comes to psychologically kind of staying on track? Okay, so, right. So there are many components to this, but correct, you're right. There are psychological components. Now, remember that your body is a machine. So if you're in a plateau, sometimes you're, depending on how much weight you've lost, your body just has to get used to this new weight. And it may take one or two weeks where your body is just sort of reshuffling and readjusting to the new weight internally. You're not seeing what's happening internally. You're just looking down at the floor and seeing what's happening at the floor. Now, after about two, three weeks, if you're still not losing weight, what that means is something has to change. So what has to change? And this is where, you know, we go into different modes in my program, and it just depends on the patient. The number one thing I would tell you is never change your breakfast. You have to eat breakfast. Do not give up your breakfast ever, anytime, for any reason. That is never going to be the solution. So this is where I might put patients on intermittent fasting, for not forever, but for a week or two. I might actually bump up their protein at breakfast, but I will make a shift somewhere in their diet to just jiggle the, the body to start moving again. So I might bump up their exercise a little bit. I might tell them I want you to do a little bit of intervaling, interval training in your exercise. I might, so something, change something and see what happens. Now give your body, remember your body is very slow. Give it four to five days to respond, but something has to change. And I will look at the particular individual and see what they're doing. And then just because I've been doing this for so many years, I'll have a very clear idea, but that's what I would tell you. If you're sitting there at a plateau, something has to change. The answer is never, never, never cut your breakfast. Why not? What's so important so, about breakfast? Exactly. So breakfast really is the most important meal of the day. Now, that does not mean that you should go eat donuts for breakfast, okay? <laughs> but it turns out that the studies show that eating more protein for breakfast speeds up your metabolism and cuts your hunger hormones. Most people do not get up at 7 a.m. in the morning to eat chocolate chip cookies. Most people overeat in the afternoon and the evening, okay? And this is when your hunger hormones peak. So by eating breakfast, you keep your metabolism high and you keep those hunger hormones in the afternoon, but primarily in the evening low. You do not want to slow down your metabolism. So keep your keep your breakfast always, always. Very, very important. And it's interesting because I was going to ask you about intermittent fasting, what your thoughts are on that. So that can be an effective tool because that seems kind so, of like we go into fads, right? Now, intermittent fasting seems to be one of those kind of popular weight loss fads, if you exactly. will. I hate to call it that way, but call it that. But Right. But but I think the key is, Carol, is to understand the science behind it. So what exactly are we doing with intermittent fasting? And, you know, again, we're now we're getting really into the science of weight loss. But what's really happening and the real key to understanding weight loss is understanding insulin. And when your insulin levels are low, that allows the fat to move out of the fat cell. And what's happening with intermittent fasting is you're not eating for a prolonged period of time, which allows your insulin levels to drop, which allows the fat to move out of the fat cell. Now, the problem with intermittent fasting that I have is no one's going to live on that forever. 
And I'm not interested in temporary weight loss. I'm interested in permanent weight loss. Okay. So if you think that you can live from now till the day you die on an, on an intermittent fasting diet, great, go for it. But I just don't see anybody living on, you know, eating in a, in a four hour window or a six hour window. The other problem I have is a lot of companies have sort of grabbed onto this and use it as a marketing tool of eat this, eat that, uh, you know, and, and this is intermittent fasting. And, and then the third thing is, I think most people don't even really understand what intermittent fasting is. And they think they can eat chocolate chip cookies and ice cream during a four hour window and then just, you know, eat nothing the rest of the time. You can't eat unhealthy foods anyway, anytime. Unhealthy foods are unhealthy, period, end of story. Now, it doesn't mean you can never eat them, but you can't eat them every day, most of the time. So intermittent fasting is a fad that most people don't understand. I do use it as a tool from time to time. Again, when patients hit plateaus to move things forward, it's not something I ever use forever because I'm really focused and interested in permanent weight loss, not temporary weight loss. How often should you weigh yourself? Wow. Now that is something that I've come to full circle on. <laughs> okay. and, you know, there's been many studies that, that show different things about that. The issue I have with weighing yourself is when people look down at the floor, they get emotionally caught up with that number and they don't see what's happening internally. So if your weight goes up a little bit, you think, oh, I hate Dr. Constable. She's a horrible person. This is not working. She has no idea what she's doing. And when you see your weight drop a little bit, two or three pounds, you think, yoo-hoo, it's Friday. I can go out and eat a little, a little bit of ice cream and have a couple of glasses of wine and up goes your weight again. So that's the issue with, with uh, getting on the scale all the time is that it emotionally sabotages you. Now, studies show, though, that getting on the scale more frequently makes you more successful. So generally, what I tell patients is the first two weeks, I don't want you to get on scale at all. Okay, I want you to really focus on what you're eating, stay off the scale. Then once we have a conversation about what that number means, and what I tell patients is if, suppose you weigh 160, if you see your weight go down to 158, it doesn't mean anything. It's a lie. Okay, until you see that number three times, it's a lie. So I think getting on the scale, once you're really going into the, the hardcore um Weight loss is a good thing statistically, but you've got to understand what's going on and not get caught up emotionally. Now, other people, it just completely sabotages them. So if you're going to get emotionally torn apart by that number on the scale, just don't do it. So I, to answer your question, Carol, it's a very individual thing, but statistically, studies show that getting on the scale on a daily basis, people are more successful don't let it emotionally sabotage you and understand that a weight drop is only real if you've seen it at least three times. Okay. Yeah. If you drop a pound or two or three, just once it's not real. Your weight, because your weight jiggles up and down yeah. as you lose weight. Yeah. I mean, we probably all have a friend I do who gets on the scale all the time and, and kind of freaks out a bit when it goes up two pounds or, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and I keep saying, stay off the scale. <laughs> Your well, weight's going to fluctuate. Right. I mean, I suppose everybody goes up at the end of the day. I mean, my mm -hmm. weight goes up four pounds from the morning to the evening. What are you going to change? How is it going to make a difference? Okay. You should weigh yourself first thing in the morning, yeah. take your clothes off, empty your bladder, get on the scale. That's your dry weight. Now, Understand, though, that you're only seeing that number on the floor. You're not seeing what's happening internally. And there are many things that can make your weight go up, even if you haven't done anything wrong. 
in terms of, of, of your diet. But you want to think about your weight week to week and really month to month because that's that's truth. And, you know, a good thing to do is to keep a log and to see how your weight trends over a month to month period, because that's much more realistic. And then as we, you know, the flip side of this, as we move back out into the world, as more and more people get vaccinated and restrictions loosen up. One of the things that a lot of us are really looking forward to is going to our favorite restaurant and indulging Mm -hmm. into that favorite meal, which, of course, comes with its own challenges. So, you know, how do we balance, particularly if we're trying to lose weight with that, you know, desire to go out and have fun and enjoy a glass of wine and dig into that favorite pasta dish or whatever it may be? Okay. So what I tell patients, Carol, is you have to learn to integrate your life with your eating, okay? You cannot sit at home. It is not healthy. Absolutely go out for your meals. Go out for your birthday. Go out to weddings. Do not sit home. It's not healthy. Now, and in our program, what we do here is we give patients handouts, and I have a handout called How to Survive a Restaurant. And what you have to do is decide, am I going out tonight? Am I going to try to maintain my my, my weight loss program? And I never call it a diet because a diet is something temporary, we're interested in programs which are permanent, but am I going to try to maintain my weight loss program or I'm going to just take a little break and have a little fun? But then you just have to set boundaries and don't count calories, but tell yourself, maybe I'm going to choose one, maybe two things that I'm going to indulge in. You cannot just sort of throw up your hands and eat anything you want. That is not going to work. It is going to create havoc. So tell yourself, maybe I'm going to have two glasses of wine, or I'm going to have one glass of wine and a quarter of a dessert, or I'm going to have half the pasta and a glass of wine, but set boundaries for yourself. And it's fine. And then the next day, don't try to compensate. Please don't skip your breakfast. <laughs> Get right back on program, pretend nothing happened, and, and, and just go back back to where you were, and you'll be fine. Yeah, sometimes it's really hard, though, when you indulge in that one meal, then to, like you said, put up the boundaries so that doesn't kind of carry over into the next day. On the other side, where you just kind of loosen up and say, that was fun. Now today, I just going to eat whatever I feel like eating. It's hard. Well, but but the thing is, Carol, this is a skill that you have to work at, okay? It's not something that's going to happen in five minutes, but you can't think that you can live your life just eating and indulging to your heart's content. It's not healthy for you. It's not good. And you're not going to be happy. So you have to set boundaries in in what you eat and everything. You don't stay up all night, you know, even though there's great movies on Netflix. I adore movies. I could stay up and watch movies until four in the morning. I would love that, but I don't do it because I know I need to go to bed. You know, it's the same thing with eating at some, you, you eat so much and that's it. Now, if you're a person that's used to going out with your friends and having a bottle of wine, that's not okay. You need to work on that. Are you going to fix this in one minute or five minutes? No, you're not. But may, the, the, there are various things you can do. And, and there's a very famous psychologist out at Stanford University that I read. He, 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 he wrote a book called um, um, Tiny Changes. But anyway, he talks about exactly how you go out about making changes like this in your life. And what you do is you rehearse four or five times in your head how you're going to do this. Then you go in. You try to do this. And if you're successful, you come out and you reward yourself. If you didn't succeed the next time, you rehearse in your head seven times and and so on. But there are ways of doing this. But these are important changes you need to work on. 
And you just can't go out and have fun and kind of let out the boundaries and do anything you want to do. It's not healthy. It's not good for you. Now, once you get into a healthy pattern of eating, what you discover is not only you're losing weight, but you have so much more energy. You feel so much better. And your taste buds actually physically change. A lot of the things that you used to think were so wonderful, like chocolate cake, the sad story is when your weight gets down, they don't taste so wonderful anymore. So it's a dual thing. It's you learn to eat in a, in a, in a balanced way, but you also don't love the things you used to love so much. So it really isn't as hard as it sounds. It really isn't. But it's something you have to work at. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.